Hello, my friends, and welcome to Season 2 of the Land and Money Podcast. My name is Adam Gates. I am an architect in San Antonio, Texas, and this show is part of my journey to becoming a great architect, uh, where Season 1 was recorded as an appendix to a local housing event I was part of with ULI San Antonio. Um, season 2 really begins to open up to a greater variety in guests and topics and lines of inquiry. It's got a little bit different tone. Um, I'm talking to people from different places uh, that I've met on Twitter or through other professional functions. I don't have a set format or overarching theme really the way we did in season one. So this is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I hope you all enjoy it uh, as much as you did season one and you stick with me. As for pre-episode sponsorship notes, I don't have any sponsors yet. Um, I would like to, if you're interested in being a sponsor, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, anywhere you need to. Uh, But I do owe a deep debt of gratitude to my friends and colleagues in the Urban Land Institute in San Antonio for their support, their encouragement, uh, and their participation. That's where I'm meeting a lot of the guests that you're going to be listening to. Uh, And also, I owe a debt of gratitude to all of you for listening and uh, giving me and my voice and my guests uh, a little bit of your time. So uh, thank you all very much as well. In this episode, I sit down with Christian Ogba, a public relations entrepreneur in San Antonio, to discuss the intersection of public relations and the built environment, uh, specifically in inner cities and uh, historically marginalized communities. Uh, Chris is the co-founder of Eku Public Relations uh, that she founded with her husband, Uche. And you can learn more about their business by visiting their website, ekupr.com. That's E-H-C-U-P-R.com. And now, here's my conversation with Christian Ogba. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining me today. I am here with my friend, Christian Reed Ogba. She's the co-founder of Eku Public Relations in San Antonio. She is a publicist, PR, entrepreneur, and a San Antonio transplant. Christian, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Adam. Tell us a little bit about first, tell, where you're a San Antonio transplant. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you came from, how you got here, and, and what it is that you do. Okay. Okay. Um, I've been here, I've been in San Antonio for almost 12 years now. So I plead the the Texas that I am. This is all the Texas I'm probably going to get. Originally from Detroit. I'm from the inner city of Detroit. So the east side, the north end. Uh, my, my mother was a landlord and a seamstress. And so we lived in a duplex and she uh, managed the tenants below us. Um, until she changed it and turned it into her studio, her art studio. So I grew up around a lot of entrepreneurial people. My grandmother was a uh, landlord, a building owner. She owned about 10 buildings on Detroit's east side, turning one into a mall, turning another into a gallery, turning another into you know multi-resident housing situation. Uh, She was very, very unique woman. She was also an African importer. So she imported a lot of art and things from Africa. Uh, And then my my uncles and my dad had a construction business. And so I would constantly work closely with them. I would write, I started writing contracts for construction jobs 
at like the age of 12, my dad got me a contracting book and told me his contracts weren't working out. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he kind of had me, you know, retool his contracts after I read that was completely obsessed with this contracts book. <laughs> and I read it at 12 and I started writing his contracts. And uh, that really interested me in process management, I'm guessing, in really figuring out what comes before and what comes after we decide to make things better. Uh, and so that was always fun. Um, when I got my professional start in procurement, right, so contracting again. Uh, for for about six years, I worked for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, and I was able to help really introduce them to a different way of thinking about small business. Once I realized that everybody's mom and grandma and uncles weren't entrepreneurs and that I was kind of like this, this outlier of, of experience, you know, I began to introduce different ways of thinking to our procurement team. So, you know, you guys are putting a lot on these small businesses that you guys, that you want out of them, whether it's from selling copper wire or pushing snow, uh, they were, they the way in which they involved themselves in the small businesses, you know, business was just, was, was disrespectful. So I was able to introduce some really cool things there. And then when I got to San Antonio, um, same thing, started, wrote a contract, took an interview and started a business. And then it's been that for, for a while. So I've been in development PR for a number of years, worked with people like Brook City Base and it was for authority. And um, of course, um, we used to have an East Point office. East Point, I guess it got taken up by Sage, Center for Growth of the East Side. So I've been, I've been having a really good time learning about land use and space and making things better through better communication. Yeah, communication is obviously a huge theme. Uh, we were talking about that offline before we started recording. Now, just one thing that I think is amazing uh 12 years old reviewing and writing contracts i think at 12 years old i was probably still mostly obsessed with power rangers like maybe coming <laughs> off maybe maybe power rangers nintendo <laughs> yeah yeah I was, you know playing playing uh teenage mutant ninja turtles yeah. uh and and super smash brothers on on when nintendo. i tell you i was obsessed with writing contracts, like I would respond to my mom if I did something. I'm like, "Well, force majeure," and she was like, "Don't you give me that? Don't you, don't <laughs> you do that?" <laughs> I was oh. obsessed with writing contracts, and I would write like day in and day out IOUs for my siblings and contracts for my uncles, and yeah. So, but I also also was obsessed with being um, an administrative assistant. I really wanted to be like a secretary when I grew up. All right. All right. Well, uh, I think you have far, you far surpassed that. Um, and just so everybody knows, I, uh, my first encounter with Christian and her husband was on the current, on the cover of the San Antonio business, San Antonio business journal, uh, just a little while after you guys showed up in town and started, uh, taking over public relations and communication, <laughs> In San Antonio, uh, and you know, she, she was just this face. She, you, uh, uh, addressing you in the audience at the same time, was just this, this, this big, bright, smiling face 
um, that was everywhere. 40 under 40, Pecha Kucha. I mean, it was a stuff. year. 2017 was my year. So uh, and then, uh, and then we ended up, we ended up working in the same building and, uh, mm-hmm. and got to be friends anyway. Uh, like I kind of opened with, we all know, and again, you know, developers and, and public partners alike always like to say like, man, we just, we just really wish people would participate, you know, um, because it, it happens a lot that a lot of the friction that we get happens, you know, kind of late in the game, decisions have already been made and then people show up and they're, uh, and they're frustrated or they have, they have opposition. Um, and, you know, we really wish people were, were engaged earlier and, and engaged at all. Yeah. Uh, and then, like I said, when you and I get together, we'll talk about some of the engagement activities that are planned or hosted and how just sometimes flawed in minor ways and how sometimes they are just, just abject failures um, yeah. and how there's just, there seems to be a, a gap in understanding of what public relations is made out of um, and public relations beyond marketing. Very important. Very important. We got to um, say that. It and so, and so at this point, again, I'm on the, I'm on the side that really doesn't know much. And so fr- frame, frame this up for us. Like, how does this go how does this go so wrong so often? Well, all right. So the number one thing with communications, when you want to get people what you want to do, you meet them. You, first of all, you want to know who you're talking to. Okay. The next level thing is meet them where they are. And a lot of times we forget those first two steps. Um, when we're trying to know who we're talking to, we kind of put ourselves in that that audience line and we're we're not that audience right if what's been going really really bad is we haven't been paying attention to how these audiences have been communicated with right previously right when we are trying to sell things in marginalized communities what do we usually have to do when we're trying to sell things to mass amount of people whose money isn't necessarily funny but it do tells a couple of jokes, right? We have to then figure out what's selling for them. What what companies, what organizations are successfully selling to them, you know? And how are they packaging their goods? And let's take let's take cues from there, right? Uh, and I and a lot of the times we go in, we're like, we need your interaction, we need this from you, and people are like, well, what's in it for me? You know, we're forgetting that moment that uh, a lot of their, so a lot of, I'm going to start calling them my people, a lot of our people's uh, solutions come in bundles. Everything was has been bundled for people that when you have to shop ideas, shop opportunities, shop products to large amounts of people that are, have been marginalized and that don't have extreme amounts of of, uh, money that they can just freely give, time that they can just freely give, bundling, 
is important. Bundling the pros and the cons, bundling the experience with the time that people are needed to pay attention. So I feel that what's been missing is taking a step back and saying, how do I make sure, one, I get the interaction I need, and two, they get something that they need at this very, very moment, right? Interesting. Um, I always draw from seeing how Taco Bell and what is it? Taco Bell and KFC started bundling up. Two very opposite spectrum food items, right? Tacos, fried chicken. They figured, you know, you don't want one, you're going to want the other. And it was the bundle that made that something that spread widely across the country. Now we don't see Taco Bell, KFC bundles in the suburban communities. You rarely will see that, right? Right. But in our inner city communities, we saw that bundle and that kind of opened my eyes to just how important it is to make sure you touch both sides of the spectrum when you're engaging with these audiences and you give them that freedom of choice. But at the same time, they don't really have a lot of choice, right? You need food fast. Go to places where you can get two different options. Right. So do you mind if I take a minute and just kind of be real with the audience and not mince words um, okay. and just say like, especially in San Antonio, a lot of the audience is here. A lot of, uh, a lot of my guests are here. A hundred percent of my activities are here and San Antonio is historically presently a vast majority uh, population, vast majority people of color and a place where the vast majority of the built environment business is not people of color. And the vast majority of, of inner city, not counting just, you know, ranch land that people are turning into suburbs, but the vast majority of redevelopment areas will say are historically people of color, historically areas that were redlined in the past and we're going to do a, i'm going to do a, a whole series on redlining another time but we all know that it is real it is true it is a thing that happens it's not a conspiracy it is it is not it is not a conspiracy um and so these these people and these areas have a particular experience um with communication or the lack thereof they have a particular experience with a relationship to their community and a relationship with the land and a relationship with buildings Mm -hmm. um and that is the that is the context for a lot of what we're talking about here um and a lot of a lot of the conversations that that you find yourself being a part of uh because of where in san antonio you uh chose to live and the people that um the people that you're communicating with well yeah and that's that's honest we gotta also add in that variable that the the development decision makers right are are city staff and employees as well as things like the bond and things like TERS and things that manage land use plan you know all of those are written and maintained by this middle audience of uh, that that also rarely touches into these communities of color 
right? Um, San Antonio being as segmented as it is, it often feels that when you're in these communities, uh, decision makers, corporate decision makers are almost untouchable, right? They are that, it, there is a separation of a, of a, this is me, this is my job, this is why I'm important versus, well, we just live here, you know? And so we have to identify that, that and deconstruct that moment where we can segment ourselves and see everyone as a resident of the city of San Antonio. Um, but the understandings of the benefits of residency uh, changes across those groups. The benefits of living here definitely changes going from the south side to the west side to the suburban Stony Oak area, Stone Oak, I call it Stony Oak, but Stone Oak area to the east side, you know, there's different benefits. And then the benefits of, of, uh, of investing here and of developing here, of course, changes across these segmented audiences as well. So identifying those benefits, which I thought would be the foremost of under, letting people understand exactly why new things need to be created uh, were never defined for our communities that are, you know, screaming gentrification. Those benefits of living here were outside of comfortability weren't ever introduced to say, you know, this is why it's going to benefit you and your community. It's not just bringing new in. There, there is some triple, trickle down effects. There are some legislative opportunities and options for you. There are some things that can get you in a space where you can also invest. Um, so we, that type of work, that type of communication, that type of investment and understanding that communication is important also. Um, uh, there's, what did we say the last time we were talking? There's no, there's no villains in San Antonio. There yeah. are just people that are building their legacy in the best way that they know how. So when you see developers coming to your area and invest a half million dollars to build six or seven homes, you know, in an effort to make three or $4 million, maybe more, you know, that doesn't make that person a villain. Just yeah. as you have lived in your home and sustained your home through for 30 or 40 years, you know, uh, that's all you can control. That doesn't make you a victim. Sure. Right? It should be a space where we recognize you're getting your life. We have got, we are getting our lives. And now, you know, how do we see that blurred middle ground as something that can be dually beneficial? How can we better define it? Well, part of what, um, pardon me for interrupting. Do you mind if I jump in? Well, go right in. Thank you. Um, the word that keeps coming up in my head is value, right? And in real estate development, we talk about, you know, the value add, right? Yeah. And this idea that in a, in an area that, you know, we've got all the words, right? You might label as transitional or, um, you know, even worse blighted, right? You know, we're, but whatever the case you're bringing, we're bringing new and better value to an area, right? And it seems like maybe there is a, a disconnect in values, sort of a, a different tense of the same word and what is, what is valued. Um, and 
you know, for example, um, a person who grew up in a just a high-end suburb, even a medium suburb, right? Um, or a, you know, really nice downtown, a hot, what, what would normally be perceived as a higher level of quality, right? may not be interpreted the same way to everybody exactly. <laughs> um, and especially people that did not grow up in that in that environment um the the associations with all of these elements of the built environment don't necessarily equate to better yeah. um and so better is definitely relative when you're you know, right. Go ahead. I, I mean, yeah. And you're, you're absolutely hundred percent correct. You know, if I was forced to move to the suburbs, I would think it's hell. I would think this is ghetto. Why, where are all the people? Why do I have to mow a lawn? You know, what's with all this driving? I would be extremely mad And how many Marshalls and TJ Maxx are out there. I would be exhausted not being able to go to my boutiques, not to see my bodega, not to, you know, hear the trains. I got to hear the trains. You know, I would think I cannot. This is hell on earth. It's prison. And if people in the suburbs were to come and live in my area, of course, they get out of their cars and they're immediately ducking. Is it safe? You know, are we going to get, you know, whatever the issue is that we have been told to understand about our differentiation in places that we live, it's going to immediately shine a light. And what we see now is, you know, the better narrative that we need to understand is really the worst word you can use when you come into a space where people are comfortable, living their life for years, raise their children. We want to make it better. What you mean? Who defines better for us, for us over here? You know, we don't go to the suburbs and start building hoods. Right. Right. We can be thinking it's making it better. We don't go out there, you know, coming in here and, and saying we're going to make this space better infers that it's not good enough for us mm -hmm. at this moment. Um, and then, of course, as people further dive into that, what's wrong with bringing newness into your community? There's nothing necessarily wrong with it when your community is for that, when your community as a whole is a welcoming space. Like San Antonio is a very welcoming city. There's nothing wrong with people coming here and feeling good and, and getting to know uh, all of the, I mean, it's so many people in the city, but at the same time, it could feel like it's a very small city, which means there's a mass amount of like welcome energy, welcoming energy all over, right? But if your community is not a welcoming community, there's, there's an underlying knowledge that it will be extremely hard, extremely hard to, to break that very hard candy shell, right? Extremely difficult to, to showcase what you know and how you know it and why you know it. Um, and we're, we're messing around with our communication so much and expectancy of, 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 uh, of these audiences, of these neighbors that we're creating that shell right now. Mm -hmm. If we don't get serious about understanding 
that if these tables were turned and flipped, the reactions would be the same. The, the stance and the visions and the visuals would be the same. There will still be clashing, still be almost, I don't like to use the word angry, but uh, still be attitudes. You know, if these tables were flipped, nothing will change because we haven't really paid attention to the fact that we're using communication that is very entitled and very expecting um, of a people that haven't really been able to ask a lot of the system. Sure. And so one thing I want to want to make clear uh, for myself in conducting this conversation and for the audience in listening to it uh, and, you know, the way that I, the way that I steer this and ask questions um, is getting into the communications part and yeah. what is broken about communications and not, not mistaking this conversation as um, you being a spokesperson a default spokesperson or placeholder for people in these communities. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not a placeholder or a spokesperson. And also to say, you know, even though, so a lot of what is happening, especially in San Antonio and a lot of cities is, is moving into neighborhoods that are historically marginalized, but this, this listening problem and this friction problem, um, can happen can kind of happen anywhere right oh, yeah. right yeah. It, stories stories of of our own of 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 you know i don't know if your readers are going to see this but if they haven't figured it out i'm a black woman uh or your listeners right yeah, right i have been, i've worked with black people that have had an, an entitled amount of expectancy for other black people not to do well, not to show up well, and is and and had to better explain, you know, this position. I'm I'm going to a small, a short story, working with um, the East Point office, former East Point office, right when it got created, it was 2016, 2017-ish. Um, and we were brought in to do a job fair, a second chance job fair that focused on um, recidivism and people that had served it or uh, people that had been incarcerated getting a getting into the workplace and we were tasked to host this job fair at a church uh, all of the all of the things that probably should have got absolutely zero interaction they gave us all of those variables right hosted at a church focus on second chance mandate that the uh, employers do interviews on site before they can get access to the floor of the of you know all of this and so we were set out on a mission but when i tell you the the milestones that they gave us to rate our success which is something i always ask for when you're in corporate contracting you always ask for what will success look like what's my metrics 200 people because they don't really want to work over there and i mean not only did depression hit in but this huge amount of Oh, I will show you energy kicked into gear for me right. and my team uh, because 200 people uh, and any amount of employers is just too low for a city, for an entire community, right? Our venue said that they can host a thousand. So we went to work. 3,000 people showed up and three times the amount of jobs, job employers showed up and 500 folks were hired on that day. And we had to look in the faces 
of these officials that hired us, of these city employees that looked like us, that hired us and say, see, now are we going to change the way we communicate with each other about this org- this, com- this community? Mm-hmm. You know, see, here we are. Look at what we did. Now, can we just focus on changing the way we, you know, expect interaction from these people? They fired us. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> they fired us. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They got rid of us right after that event. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I mean absolutely beautiful event like when i tell you people with helicopters driving flying by you know we had police directing traffic we had a food truck of course giving out free food but at this but then here's what we did to get that type of engagement we comboed the hell out of that event we included child care we got the mothers of the church to come and take a room and watch kids while their parents you know apply for positions we had a computer lab open my mom was in there wiping down this is 2017 she would wipe down all the computers after everybody with Lysol wipes you know we had uh, a printer so that you could print your resumes we had um a, a dry cleaning truck came by and was steaming ties and giving away free ties Okay, we comboed everything. And then after that, we had a little networking event for city council persons. The new mayor, Mayor Taylor was our mayor in the end, um, a, a luncheon for all of the employers to inter- introduce to them why they should have recidivism programs and what are the benefits for such programs in their spaces of employment. And it was a full day. We were absolutely exhausted. The report was absolutely beautiful, but it changed the way that we, that I looked at interacting with San Antonio's more marginalized communities. Um, Things like ads in the newspaper didn't work. Sponsored posts didn't work. Um, What worked was hanging out with the paleta man Mm -hmm. and telling him to pass out my flyers as he served ice cream right hanging out with the ice cream truck uh going to the clubs and telling the promoters hey listen if you have a club party i want to pay for your flyers if you put my job fair post on the back of it going to the churches i think i joined 20 churches that year (laughs) and i'm not even religious like my name is christian i'm not i'm not a religious religious person i can quote some verses but i'm not religious but i know i knew we had to go in and sit in the back of that church and listen for two or three hours, get up, smile, you know, and leave, not even walking to the podium, not doing anything, but engaging. There were times where we would go and sit in the back. And before you know it, the whole missionary department was around us. Who are y'all? What are y'all doing? What do y'all do? Y'all look different. And we were able to pitch then and only then when we were asked, right? Because mm-hmm. um, we're new. My husband's from Nigeria. I'm from Detroit. They could tell that we not really from yeah yeah right right. it's not it's it's not it's not as clear-cut as you might think all the time not at all right so so we had to do a lot in terms of really figuring out um this audience not being from here and in terms of doing a good job getting the community employed that was our goal not getting people to show up but getting the community employed you know not getting people to just you know take the letter that from their parole officer and have us sign it, but getting them jobs and making them show up to those jobs, right? Sure. And so that took a lot of sitting around and being attentive, being yeah. attentive to what, and then, then 
providing that solution on a silver platter, on a silver platter, because everyone deserves a little bit of luxury, mm -hmm. right? And then, you know, receiving that thank you with the, okay, you're welcome. Also, here's a little bit more, you know, whenever we got to thank you, here's a little bit more. Right. And we talked about this as a major point um, before we started, you know, the, the kind of different, the different layers of engagement, so to speak, yeah. and where, and I mentioned, you know, coming up through architecture school, we make a lot of presentations, mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of times there's this idea that engaging with a community means getting myself up on the podium and presenting my big grand ideas, right? And then and we talked about listening and how that's kind of the the deep the, go a little go a little bit deeper, say no, 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 no. You don't need to talk. You listen, right? But even then there's like, and I'm just now realizing this. There's listening on the stage where you're still kind of the center of attention and 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 showing yourself listening. And then there's what you're talking about, which is even deeper. And um, I like, you know, use the word attentive. And I like that where you take all of the, where there's zero attention on you and you are only paying attention, yeah. you know, where you, you just be willing to not just, fade into the background and watch and listen and learn, but even like participate, like be in, be an honest participant in the lives of the people who are the audience that you're trying to communicate with. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's, and that's all people need, right? They want to be seen and heard and not just given a seat to listen. Mm -hmm. uh, I love hearing from people. I like to people watch. Um, and I think that that's the reason why I've been able to be in certain amount of rooms uh, is because I listen. And sometimes what I hear goes on Twitter. <laughs> sometimes what I understand goes on Twitter also. But it, it gives me a moment where I can just pay attention and come, not necessarily come to my own conclusions, but definitely get introduced to different ways in which people handle different things. Mm -hmm. um, and I've worked for so many different types of people in this city to kind of sit back and say, I, I jumped in all of these places by merely figuring out how not to lean in. I like the lean in situation, but I love to sit back and just let it wash up. Let the knowledge, let the history, let the information that these people have kind of wash over you know and 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 be concerned about the whatever issues they are whether it's right. displacement whether it's noise whether it's you know are these people going to be here's something that I thought was very interesting if and then I I speak to a lot of people in our community um one of the young people that I speak to, or she's not a younger woman, but she lives in the alley behind my home. Okay. 
And she's extremely worried that the people that purchased the home that she lives more so behind Mm -hmm. um, will be people that will kick her out of that space, will remove her from that space. It's a good space. She said it never floods over. It's hers. It's been her space for a while. And she said, if they come over, they're going to tell me to go and I'll have to find a new space. And I'm like, you know, I understand where you're coming from. She goes, I'm just glad that you're black and you didn't tell me to go. I said, do only, do you think that only white people have an issue with homelessness, with with homeless people in their vicinity? I mean, I could be scared of you back there. I'm scared one day you're going, I'm going to go back there and find you in in a bad spot, you know, outside of living outside. But sure. Um, and I said, well, what do you think about, what, what do you think? She, and she's, she's attentive. She said, I've been watching how they show the house and where they show it to. And I, and I think it's cool to be building the houses, but if I get put out, I have to now I'm, I'm safer here. Uh, whether she's keeping her way away from, from people that may be unsafe or animals and things of that sort, whatever it is may be she believes that she's safer in that space but she is extremely fearful that if the people that move in are not the people that are kind of like community Mm kind of resembling her community they'll put her out and I said to myself now if homeless people are worried about displacement right and they're worried according to the demographic of the people then we really have to begin to converse about how we are inviting people into our community one because mm-hmm. i've been invited i'm not from here and right. then also how we are looking at people when they come in and not judging them for for being here right right now at this space everyone's not an opportunist everyone's not a freedom fighter but also everyone shouldn't be considered or people shouldn't be considered oh i hate the word karen's right coming into a space that's unbeknownst to you sure and you're changing everything about it and complaining all the way the whole way through right it creates a stigma and so when we're attentive um we get a little bit more of our humanity gets to showcase a little bit more of our method in which we we can really see what the problem is and show and and not necessarily find a solution right away, but just continue listening and continue watching and continue listening and continue watching and then creating little pieces of solutions. So you have this woman living in your alley. Yeah. In a sense, um, with the permission of you and your neighbors, because you are choosing not to have her pushed out right she's a neighbor i count her as a neighbor amen to that um and as that you know you kind of brought up there's this extension idea that there's all of these people regardless of the condition that they find themselves in um who are your neighbors uh who are a lot you know in a lot of these situations like they have been here longer than you and they know this place better than you. And this gets back to the idea, I think, of, of value and quote, making things better and who gets to define who gets to define 
what better is. I think that a mistake is often made in thinking that there isn't um, because something, a place or neighborhood doesn't look or sound like what you think it should, or to a, a point that you brought up earlier, because a place is frightening to someone for whatever reason, that it is devoid of a sense of, of community and love amongst neighbors and um, a connection between those neighbors and, um, and conversations between those neighbors about the change that is happening and the change that is coming and ideas that they might have about what better might look like if anything you know yeah 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 you're absolutely correct like if if, there's a mindset that if if someone or something isn't at its best it can't be better we can have better with just good we can have better with just with just with the bare minimum could be better than you know i feel like There'll be, if you picked up San Antonio's east side or our west side, 7207, one of the more financially segmented communities in the city, um, definitely stricken with poverty. If you picked up all of those people and gave them individual homes uh, in the suburban areas mm-hmm. and gave it to them, I, I can almost surely tell you that they would not consider their lives better. They will consider their lives now a bigger burden, heavier weights on their shoulders as they go through how people in that community see them, how they are treated at area restaurants, libraries, um, how they get around uh, without if they don't have vehicles. You know, you just pick it, of course, how they manage those newer homes, uh, how they how they engage with their their newer neighbors and how their newer neighbors engage with them, how the police engages with them, how the school system engages with their children. You know, if they're going shopping, will they be overlooked or will they be followed around? So that wouldn't necessarily be a better life for them. Mm-hmm. That would be a weight added, a number of weights added to them. However, if you were to bring suburban people into this community and they were able to sit and look and say, Okay, that young lady that lives in the gentrifier house, me, mm-hmm. washes the clothes of the lady that lives in the uh, alley every week, mm-hmm. which is true. Yep. And in, in exchange, she makes sure nobody drops anything in my in front of my house. Yeah, right. Right. In exchange, she, you know, uh, it's just. It's just a different type of lifestyle, right? In exchange, if I was to say I need somebody to take something, I have some made a pot of greens. Sure. <laughs> and the the bar owner at the corner really likes the greens. I look out my window. Margie's on her way down the street. Hey, Margie, take these greens to camp. Right. That's community, right? 
I feel like my life is better. All I got to do is wash a load of clothes a week. And Margie is not only going to, you know, make sure she, if she sees somebody around my house, she goes get away from her house, you know, get away from her car, you know, and then I don't have to walk down the street to give Kent his greens. I, I feel like my life is now easier here. I would not have that opportunity in the suburban areas. I would not, not to say Margie kind of works for me, but it's just a give you, and a give and a you take. Work together. We I mean, work that's... together. Yeah, and I feel um, that other people will begin to see that. So we have a couple of newer members in our community, and they don't necessarily look like our community. But when I tell you how much they enjoy just going out and sitting on the porch and saying hello, and 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 engaging with the people that live in the area and watching, you know, people watching and all kinds of just they are having the time of their lives. Right. And and they, and it's. I wouldn't say it's easier for them. It's not more entertaining for them, but it's definitely a new realization. You can see their eyes are opening wider and wider every day as they engage, you know, with the neighborhood and with the community and with the the cultural pockets that we have over here. Same for the west side, same for the south side. We're building. We're, We're, we have a livelihood whether as versus a, a lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I like that. I like that. And uh, so a lot of what we're talking about or what you're talking about here is um, public relations in the most organic um, boots on the ground kind of sense. Um, and, you know, it, it, in that, in this context, I, I don't even actually like the boots on the ground metaphor because it's kind of, it's a, it can be a little bit militaristic. It's 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 organic, and um, just real, you know, maybe, yeah. right? But let's talk a little bit about for more when you when you do get into the more formalized public relations. Right. So uh, I go to Eku Public Relations and I say, hey, I want to uh, I want to do some work in a particular area. Um, I want to do I want to do right by obviously myself financially, but I want to do right by the people like balance. Right. I want to yeah. do right by the neighborhood, um, you know, a a a healthy, thriving neighborhood is good for yeah. whatever investment. I might be making. So part of that advice is going to be this sort of be organic, put yourself there and understand the people. Uh, But then we're going to get into some more formal public engagement, right? Um, What does that look like both positively and negatively? You know, we can, we can via negativa this and say like, how is this done poorly often? And what can we take from how it's done poorly to do it well? how is it poorly done it's been poorly done for so long i know it's literally just like how is it done you know uh, sure yeah right uh, we we tend to think that everyone gets their news and their information from the same place okay right from the places that we get our news and our information from mm-hmm. uh, and in a lot of places remember telephone Remember the game telephone? Yeah. Where you play, you'll whisper in somebody's ear and then they'll take that message and they'll whisper it. In. And by the end of the telephone game, it's, different. Uh, it's a different message. Yeah. 
And that's basically what's happening right now is we're not understanding that we are playing telephone. We are sending out messages saying we need interaction and these changes are about to happen by this specific date. And then by the time that the residents get the information it is, we're all being put out and the tax rate is gonna be so high that we're gonna to have to just burn the houses down anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it gets, those messages are completely and utterly distorted. So in the sense of things, uh, it makes us take a step back and say, well, why are y'all showing up at these events? And what's, what's indicative of that is when people show up and they're angry. It's an angry mob. Pitchforks, there's TG torches, there's all kinds of things, right? Because that message of we need your in- involvement or we're trying to include you gets way crazy distorted to y'all ain't had nothing in a while. We trying to help you out. Oh, right. Bananas. And to say the, to say, you know, I'm walking into this meeting after hearing we ain't had nothing in a while when they're trying to help us out and I'm already angry. And then I see a, almost a, a, a smiling face looking at me like, thank you for coming. And that now that's condescending because my messaging that before I got here was way different than what you put out. So what makes it reasonable to think about going back to the drawing board in terms of ensuring that, you know, in terms of public relations, it is getting that message into um showing the process to the process of getting that interaction okay opening up those doors what's behind those big wooden doors in city buildings and city offices to say who are the people we are engaging with what has been the effects of this engagement in previous months and then have we really been working in terms of understanding that level of engagement that's just probably going to be no but to just show all of that it creates an earlier access, access that people have not notoriously had or known that they had um, that can better introduce that or better better make that message more longstanding, that message clearer for longer instead of instantly distorting it, right? Uh, I've always, I love transparency when it comes to city management and city development. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the thing that has been embraced by me or by people that know me is that well, I'm going to be transparent. I'm having a hard time. I need, I'm struggling seeking a, a voice, you know, I, whatever it is, I'm extremely, we echo has been extremely transparent in our process to building methods and levels of communicating with marginalized communities and bringing messages from, you know, decision-making from developing organizations into these communities has been something that we have focused on for so long that, you know, it's almost kind of our natural ability to say, to say it in, in the two different vernaculars, right? The two different languages. Sure, you know? yeah. Development hasn't happened 60, 70 years. Property, property values over the last five years skyrocketed, mm-hmm. right? From 10 years ago, a land, a piece of, you know, quarter acre, third acre, piece of property going five and five to seven thousand dollars 10 years ago 60 to fifty thousand dollars right now hundred twenty thousand dollars for a half acre right yeah, now thousand percent thousand percent 
Now, how do you take that information and say, it's not that the property went, the property value went up, the community value went up. Now, how do you explain the community value to a people that thought, well, my house ain't valuable. I haven't figured it out. But that property, that land, it ain't nothing has happened to it. All of a sudden, that's valuable. Now, how do you explain that without without, uh, watering it down, right? Without finding yourself to be predatory, right? Right. Which we do have. Sure. We have a lot of predatory lenders. So that helped with distorting that message. And predatory buyers, like hey, and predatory buyers, yeah, um, help distorting the messages that the city is trying to provide. Right, we don't know who to identify as, you know, uh, as an A one rating versus a really F rating person because or entity because they're 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 trying to sneak us. They're trying to get our houses for forty thousand dollars cash, you know, and, and that's a big amount of money. So you wrote it out in all the numbers and letters that you can see it, right? With the $40,000 and then $40,000 in parentheses and not saying also at the end of that letter, disclaimer, you won't be able to buy anything in your current neighborhood or in Texas, right? $40,000. You'll just basically get the opportunity to live in another hood in another city with no equity. Right. right. Um, but it changes that message of Newness is coming. New this is coming. To y'all ain't got nothing. Don't you want a little bit of something? Right. We dangle this carrot in front of you and get you out of here. And that's not community. Yeah. That's not Uh, public relations either. Well, and what I love about the message I'm getting from you about public relations, and I we hit made this a a bullet point, I guess, at the beginning is it's real public relations isn't your marketing campaign. Not at all. You know, it is, it, and especially in, with respect to the built environment in already sensitive and historically marginalized environments. Um, this is about, uh, and I'll take it, you know, it's super true in that context, but it is true in any context, I think, with the built environment because of how important the built environment is to our existence, that it's about real human connection. Yeah. Um, and this idea, like you're talking about, of, 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 being, of being known, of understanding the humanity of the, hum- the real humanity and the real concerns and the real ideas of your audience, um, and also understanding, or at least trying to, there's a limit to that, and I'll come back to it, um, trying to understand the, the perceptions that your audience is coming into the conversation with, and the understanding, and the, the knowledge, or lack thereof, and just so to touch on what I said a second ago, one thing that I have had to learn um, a little bit at a time over the years is as much as I like to think of myself as a as an empathetic person, as a compassionate person, as a person who can has some ability to put myself in another person's shoes and 
imagine uh, life as that person. Um, I can't pretend to really know or own or have a real understanding of anyone else's experience in this limited human life that we have here on earth. Right. Um, which makes the listening part that much more important, I think. Um, and not just listening, listening, listening and trusting. I think there's a tendency to listen and um, disregard listen and you know listen, listen question listen and question and listen and say well you know yeah, what uh, about well yeah. but you know if you understood this and that and the other that well you, you know no you have to you, at some point you have to you have to I, I shouldn't preach at some point i personally have to acknowledge the limits of my own empathy and understanding of under people other people's lives and just trust that what they're telling me is true um, so when, That's honest. you know, so when people say, uh, we are being, we are being pushed out, um, you know, it's not my place to say, well, no, you're not actually being pushed out. You know, it's a financial opportunity. You, you know what, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. cause they, you don't know the messaging that these people have received. They're literally like, they're hearing one side they don't, again no differentiation between which and back to development being this segmented segregated industry right now sure. what they don't understand this community notoriously our leadership here has been has looked like the 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 residences mm-hmm. historically there's a big giant fence around the AT&T Center that doesn't allow those residents, those visitors to come into the community and really engage with it much, right? And then, of course, there's a big giant bubble that the Spurs live in, so you don't really see that that community come out of that space, a bu- big bubble around Coca-Cola. We don't know which white person bringing solutions are bringing solutions versus just lining their pockets right we would never know in this community if we don't get a chance to make that connection right so when people say we're getting pushed out and then the 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 talking white man then says no you're not you don't know what's been in my mail right so i don't know what you're trying to sell me because i'm getting letters and when I tell you these people are getting letters every day to sell their houses for pennies. Yeah, cat. We'll buy your house cash. Cash, right? Here's a here's fifty thousand dollars. One young lady, she told them no at forty five, and they came back with seventy five thousand dollars. And her cousins and her sisters and her uncles wanted to physically fight this woman because that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Now say you took that money and you now are out of your home and they give you a truck they give you moving people can you imagine 
Right. You're not only getting robbed for your home, but they're helping you move out, right? They give you moving people so you don't have to have that expense. And you've now collected that 75K and you split it amongst all of your people that that had a, you know, because it's granny's house, it's grandma's house, right? It wasn't right. really our house, right? You split it amongst all the cousins. Now you got about three, four thousand dollars left. And where are you going to go? Yeah, so right. You got, you don't you got see, months of rent. Yeah. Where are you going to go? But you don't know the people behind that letter. And now you're sitting in front of another guy and he's telling you you're not being pushed out. Oh, no, my friend, my neighbor already got pushed out. So what you mean? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, that's not listening. That listening to respond, that hearing to just react, that's not working. Mm-hmm. You know, what's working with really understanding where to sell because we got to sell this opportunity like we if we do not sell the redevelopment of our marginalized communities the city's going to go for bust right that's it every every big giant city is doing it if we do not sell the redevelopment of our marginalized communities city's going to go for bust we're going to dry up we're going to become flint michigan and so okay so let's unpack that a little bit this idea of of selling the redevelopment of marginalized communities so in that in that statement um who is the seller and who is who is the buyer are you talking about getting and there's a power shift we need to shift that power the our communities should manage how we sell our communities uh we need to shift that power in terms of and the power has been shown to be proven to be good, right? When we sure. shift into who can who can buy and where can they buy, that showcases a big power of community versus people coming out and giving new values to different properties or different development opportunities and options, giving those values unbeknownst to the community around us. When it's the community that has the value, that aligns the value, and that understands their value, we have something like, you know, loans, we have, uh, what do you call it in, in New York City where you have Gramercy Park and people belong to the park and, you know, they really focus in on, I don't know, uh, it's not an HOA. It's uh, not Gramercy here in San Francisco, but in, in New York, right? It's not an HOA. Whopper. It's not a, it's a bigger value system. Okay. Where you know your neighbors, it's a co-op. There we Co-op go. cooperative. Okay. Cooperative, right? So when we have more of a cooperative approach, where we create amazing co-ops, not just, you know, overlooking commissions, but co-ops that understand their value their structure, and then how to invite the right people in and how to understand who you're inviting in, right? right. Why don't we have application processes to building in the, in the community? Oh, we don't, but we do have organizations that you got to go visit and kind of kiss a little ass over here, kiss yeah. ass over here, right? And then after that, what's, what, what happens? There's nothing that those places do to align value to our communities. So we have, or you think so? You think different? No, 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 no. You, my wheels are spinning. My wheels are spinning. It's, no, it's good. It's good. Keep going. I think that as we shift, as we sell, you know, as we empower our communities to sell, mm-hmm. to sell more, we need to sell. If we don't sell, um, our community resources get spread really, really thin. 
right. across way too much property. Again, I referenced Flint because we had talked about Flint on Twitter. Well, I didn't talk right. about it, but what Flint was able to do was recognizing that the city was drowning in uh, debt. Um, they were spending amazing amounts of money sending trash pickup and water service. Well, not water service, but um, resources, you know, collecting dogs, whatever they're doing. They were spending an enormous amount of money keeping folks that have been, you know, riding that sprawl wave uh, connected to the city center. And uh, whether they were fixing roads, building new highways, there was no one in the center city, in the center of the city, where all of the resources were headquartered, but all of a sudden everyone was outside of the city. So they began to give incentives to come inside, to come back into the inner city, to purchase homes, to purchase buildings, to purchase land in the inner city so that they can stop using this exorbitant amount of money traveling uh, to pick up trash from 40 and 50 miles away. And it's been proven to be very, very successful. Um, at that same time, they really identified that, you know, the value of these services, the cost of these services will go up for our inner, for the inner city people that we do have if we don't do something fast, right? The cost for our services in the San Antonio, CPS, SAWS, whatever it is, will increase if they keep having to service every annexing city that we have. Right. It's more reasonable to bring people here, to, to bring people inside, into the loops, right. to help cover those expenses, right? And not to make it a big giant loss. Um, yeah. So how do we value this area? Outside of saying there's, there's a lot next to you and I can build three houses and sell them at 500,000, 500, why are we not showcasing that your home ain't just worth $45,000. Your home is worth this amount. And when you pay these taxes, I don't understand how taxes work in San Antonio. No, 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 one, no one does. Right, okay. When you pay these taxes, then it gets this and you can do all of these things. Value yourself, value yourself differently. Value yourself more than that letter. Here's the dashboard. You know, We have to start interacting with showcasing how to understand our value and then empowering our people, our community to sell the community. We need to know that as more comes in, more goes out. Right. You and I have talked about the, and I've talked about this with a lot of other people as well. And it seem people seem to agree. It's a, it's a universal problem, but how do we solve it? Uh, you know, back to this creative problem solving book. The problem of understanding and access to and comprehension of the instruments of finance, right? Because it's not taught anywhere. No. Right? It's not part of our it's not part of our school system. And really the only way the only way to learn it is to have people, I mean, I guess you could realize that it's something to be known and go to, you know, your local community college and try to take a real estate course or something, but by and large, like your finance class. Yeah, I know. Um, but by and large, like people learn about finance and the instruments of finance, and especially as they relate to the built environment by being around people in their community who know it and being able to 
absorb kind of by osmosis. You, you mentioned it a minute ago, like you grew up with it and it took you a while to realize that you were unique in that way and that you had an understanding that a lot of people didn't have. Um, and so, you know, we joke about having a bullet list of, you know, of, of how to be creative. Hey, look, I've got a, I've got a list of, of things to do to be creative. But some of what we're talking about really does point to this notion that the, the right tools to solve the problem that we have may not exist yet, right? And we need to, you know, if, 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 the, only, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Um, hey, that is listen so they say American right? history right yeah right and so it seems like we need to um and then that's a very big fuzzy we um i think it's a combination of because your society because it's it's the mix of those of us who i'm not i'm not really a, i'm not a real estate developer i'm an architect and i and i hang out with real estate developers um, so, you know, the development world, those of us that are kind of in the middle in the communication part, like you and I are in, in very different ways, but you and I are kind of in the communication industry within that. Um, and people who aren't involved in it at all kind of need to go back to first principles, um, or go, not even go back to go forward into first principles and really figure out um, what problems exist and, you know, somehow try to find some common ground and agree on some things um, and start talking about legislation, uh, fill in education and knowledge gaps where they need to be filled in and figured out. Um, I don't know. Okay. I mean, I love a knowledge gap campaign. I love, and I think that public relations and architecture is same same field, right? I build little campaigns Very that similar. structure thoughts. You build buildings, structures, mm -hmm. right? That yep. interact with communities, right? Um, when it comes to doing knowledge based campaigns, where you're introducing people to information that they don't know or that you suspect that they don't know. Um, it's always a top-down situation, mm -hmm. right? And it takes a lot of time to understand that the people that you're giving this knowledge to, it's, it's more so I can lead a man, you know, I love that lead a man to the water and he can learn how to fish or Right. Whatever it is, right? Teach a man to fish, you eat all day. Give him a fish, you'll eat today. There, that, there has to be that dual approach. To you got to teach a man to fish and give him that fish because if he is too hungry to go fishing, to fish. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, he's not going to fish. And, uh, and that's not a plea to like give up, give away, give things, you know, but easy to use platform that helps people do the math on their own, right. but also makes that math stick, right? Remember when TurboTax put all the little independent tax people out of business? Mm -hmm. 
the independent tax people that had folks going to jail for fraud, you know, had to getting audited, getting scared of being audited. I remember my mom and my grandmother, entrepreneurs, you know, they kept their tax man, they kept his phone number tight, like almost in a safe. Like, I'm not giving you Mr. Williams' phone number because he got to do my taxes. Like, and Focus. I don't want to go to, right. right. This, is, this is their guy. TurboTax came on board. And now almost anybody could do their own taxes, right? They made it extremely easy. And you didn't have to take that H&R Block course to do it. Yeah. Right? Um, which was going to take you weeks, time, time that you don't have. They gave you the platform. They showed you the numbers. They made those numbers stick and now empowered you to be able to do a little bit more later on, right? Now sure. you get more options. I mean, you get family. You get dual, whatever packages you pick on TurboTax. Uh, there needs to be that. They get they not they not only informed you, but they walked you into the process. Oh, like handheld, but you had the power to move to the next level. You had to you didn't have to wait. Okay, well you almost got this part. Wait for your grade. Oh, you got to go to another class. No, you got a chance to interact with your numbers, build on your numbers, see where your numbers were taking you, and then in real time, those numbers were the solution to the problem you were trying to solve, not just some example. That makes a lot of sense. A couple of things you went through my mind, you know, as you brought up TurboTax was, but even then, as an example of a platform, um, you got to have the internet. Got to have the internet. You got to have, you know, you got to have access to computers or whatever. Well, and, and also that it's not just, it's not just a one-way information feed where, the where we are taking you know knowledge of again instruments of finance into the world and like just again one way it's a feed it's a feedback loop right if we're going to if we're going to have a conversation about about building new tools right um building new tools to solve newly identified uh problems um then it can't just be, you know, one side walking in and saying like, here's all these tools, uh, you know? Um, so it's a, it's a tough nut to crack, but there are some basic things I think. Uh, and if people want to follow you on Twitter, they can just look you up and see some of your recent uh, live feedback from a, a, a failed event seemed wow. to have been failed event where yeah, I thought you know, it was extremely successful however the, well so i just i i saw the couple of things where um you know however many hundreds of people showed up for the event and they only had 10 printouts four 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 printed copies of the program and the uh the powerpoint presentation was on the on one side of a big room and the font was too small for anybody to see and just just some really basic communication things it's it's that and that comes to the value right you're going into a community that's worth a billion dollars let's start valuing that engagement at a billion dollars from jump from the beginning 
right? Like you know what what happened. Just this notion, this just getting to this idea that breaking actually no not getting breaking down the idea of a place a community being composed of lots of individual properties that are worth a hundred thousand dollars two hundred fifty thousand dollars fifty thousand dollars you're like no no no. you're coming into a community that has a collective a collective worth of a billion dollars yeah however many millions of dollars and instead of instead of treating a room full of people as individuals who have a piece of property worth some small portion of the whole that you are speaking to the stakeholders and stockholders of a of, of a whatever the number is stakeholders is a big word stockholders is a bigger word yes that's it and it's respectful cuz i couldn't fathom going into spurs arena and pitching the pop with some high C and a little Debbie cookie, you know? <laughs> I couldn't fathom doing something like that. So you're coming into this space with all of these millions and uh, again, a billion dollars, yeah. and you're not making that environment understand that they're worth a billion dollars. You're not getting that point across. Again, demarginalized, devalued, disenfranchised people who have constantly been told that you only get one representative now you have this big giant amazing value and it's not being clearly you know that that portion of the message is being kept from you and I actually had an interaction with a gentleman I said you know why don't we see the results of the development around the AT&T Center Mm-hmm. You know, or why isn't the AT&T Center here on this plan in that land use plan that they were presenting? It was a big block around the map. I wish I had it. A big block around the map that was the AT&T Center not included in this land use plan. And I said, why is it big blocked out? And his response was kind of snippety. Again, yeah. the message, the telephone message, right? Sure. No conspiracy. It was already developed first. So yeah i i i saw the maybe you sent me a screenshot i couldn't see the tweet because i wasn't i wasn't following the guy but it was it was something uh flip it like it was very flippant we're like hey the line's got to be drawn somewhere somewhere Um, yeah as if as if it's just an arbitrary decision that somebody's that somebody makes and not this doesn't have anything to do with that you know and it does because it's down the street so we're going to need to to understand that you know, a full picture is what these people deserve, not just right. bits and pieces and portions here and there. We need to understand the full picture, one, so that we can check some of y'all, right? That you're understanding that we want to make sure, okay, well, what's the value of what it is that you did in that space? Explain that to us so that we can better align what you are wanting to do over here, you know? And then how has, has that work been done where you can understand how your work has been a success? Is your work, are you just working off a line of task lists and checkboxes? Or are you really doing some work that really helps us to better understand our value in this area and within this process? Because it's extremely important. It's mandated by law that you get our interaction. But to expect that we won't interact the way you want to interact with us and giving us half-assed information. Yeah. And then 
making us pay for that because we paid those hours, right? Every city employee that stood on that wall and didn't give that, they didn't give the presentation. They didn't have enough copies. There wasn't enough chairs. The room wasn't even easily accessible to the handicapped community, which is a big giant handicapped community here. Uh, uh, They stood on that wall. We had to pay time and a half for that. The city has to pay those, that payroll. That overtime. That overtime. So you're not explaining our value, expecting us to take anything you got to say. And you're not looking at us like, hey, we're going to okay these budgets. We're going to, we got to okay these. We have to okay these budgets. So let's get into who's doing what job and who has the value. No, I love this. So, you know, there's the two, the two ends of this public relations, uh, conversation that we've been having you know on the one hand it's a very <clears throat> you know uh i'm like you i'm not a i'm not a traditionally religious person um but i love me some jesus yeah, and he's around. you know yeah and so on the one hand you've got this very sort of jesus idea of hey you need to love everybody and be with people and, and offer a, 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 a higher baseline of human respect for your fellow man, regardless of whoever they are and mm-hmm. see them and hear them, um, in real time, in real life. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end, in the actual execution of your communication and your engagement, you need to treat people as if they are, because they are stockholders, and in a, in a, you're talking, you're specifically talking about the area of the of the east side that mm-hmm. that you're living on, um, and so in that scenario, I mean, you need to treat people like they are the stockholders in a billion dollar entity. Yes, because not because they should be or that because they are because that is are. because that is the truth of the matter yep god i love that that puts a lot into perspective right yeah right. yeah and you know i think in, in talking about creating tools um and and you brought up you brought up co-ops i've been a bit of a I've never been a part of one, but I've sort of from the outside, I've been a kind of a co-op nerd for a little while because it seems like such an amazing type of entity, right? That really ties people together uh, and gets them in the same boat. You know, we like to say that there's that saying that rising tides raise all ships. Uh, Well, okay, great. Not everybody's got a boat. Um, and so that rising tide could just as easily drown some people. Uh, not everybody has people that have a boat, don't necessarily have a good boat. And so that rising tide can capsize some people. Um, and so, you know, taking that metaphor further and just using the, you know, getting everybody in the same boat kind of thing. What is the more, you know, is there a more formalized tool for, um, large numbers of people to keep the individual ownership that they have of their asset, but be a part of a larger, more formalized entity that's, that goes beyond like my neighborhood association. Right. Yeah. Um, like, no, this is a, like, what's that? How do you create that, that, that billion dollar 
company. Mindset. W- oh, oh, yeah, mindset. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, that that's it. It's literally. And this might have been the conspiracy that redlining created, the conspiracy that, you know, all the segmentation created was the, the devaluation of our neighborhoods because of the absence of whiteness. Mm-hmm. Right. And and within that absence, uh, a lot of wasn't replaced with a lot of pride. It was replaced with we need additional safety now. It was replaced with, you know, large big box stores that take over small bodega type grocery. Mm-hmm. It was replaced with big giant commercialization, right? Right. Um, and and so to say, all right, you all, y'all have done the best that you can with what you've been given. Um, at the same time, things were taken away. Things were taken away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I recognize that in Detroit, if you look at from my hometown, Detroit, we had something that was titled White Flight. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's a common and that's everywhere, right? Yeah. Right? Things were taken away. The the people that left, some of them left reluctantly, right? If your community up and just exits out, mass exodus out, right. are you going to be the one single person to stay? Do you want to stay? You know, what would stay feel like for you? You know, turmoil be turmoil, you know, 1950s versus 2021, you know, turmoil is that. We're still in this movement. You know, how safe would it be for you to to Stay in a space where there, where your people are massively exiting, right? Yeah, sure. Um, but at the same time, there was a drain, and we have to acknowledge that drain. But it, it didn't necessarily; it should not have drained things like our value. It should have drained residents and communities, right? It should have drained. Uh, it should have drained the amount of dollars spent or the amount of time spent to interact with these neighborhoods and mm-hmm. it did right it did right out of sight out of mind i don't live there anymore i don't care about it anymore right history be damned um so how do you get them to now look up and say we the repair is we now have to become a bigger cooperative I do believe if I was to go up and down the streets, if I go up and down Dakota, if I go up and down Illinois, where those communities, Highland Park, Eastside community, um, I do believe that if I were to explain to them, all right, we have to band together and make our houses look nice and we have to, you know, figure out who needs a new roof and 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 jump in and, and provide there. If I was to do that, I, I do believe people will look at me and say, well, we've been already doing that. Mm-hmm. there's already co-ops there's already a co-op it's just not called a co-op it's called being a good neighbor i'm inspired by a, a newer san antonio developer i met two years ago he actually built my home his name is gerardo uh Ituarte. yeah and he's a very unique guy he's got his own vision of development um and uh when we were looking at this home, I looked out and he goes, you like that roof on that house there? 
I said, oh, that's a really nice roof. He goes, yeah, they needed a roof. When I looked and I built this house and I looked over, they needed a roof. So now we're going to try to do the roof of this other house where one of my houses looks over and he's doing the roof. I said, well, who are you doing the roof? He goes, I asked the people across the street. It's a roofing company. It's across the street from my house. He said, I, I partnered with them and they're doing the roofs. I said, Gerardo, this is a this is a co-op. This is the development matchmaking. This is a mentor-protege situation. Yes. This is increasing the shared value of our community and 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 also giving a little bit in terms of you know communication. You didn't go through any financing, any city ordinances to say, hey, uh, I'm building a couple houses over here. They're gonna look over at your roof. It doesn't look that good. Or not even that, hey, we see it's a problem. I got the resources to fix it. You right. want, you know, and help and helping in that method. There are co-ops already here. They're uh, de facto, right? Um, they they exist, they exist in in spirit and in action, but not on paper. Not on paper, no. Right. Um but and, and, on paper. Well, to and and to it at some point, at some point the paper becomes um, important for uh, leveraging scale, and I think that's one of the biggest things for cooperatives is if you become a part of a property owning cooperative, then you get to leverage economies of scale, and so. Right. And so you can have that roofer who also lives in the neighborhood say, hey, instead of just, hey, I have an interest in this one roof because my property is going to look over at it. So I want to work with I want to work with these groups to do it like, hey, let's do 50 roofs. Yeah. Right. And you get the business of doing 50 roofs, but everybody you're doing these 50 roofs for gets a little bit of a deal because you're because of economies of scale and you get to buy materials with economies of scale and and everything else. Um Ooh, I like this. Um, this is uh, we're we're running up on the amount of time I usually allot for these podcasts, but uh, I think we have a lot more talking to do, and obviously we talk a lot. Um, oh, and by and by the way, I'm I'm really glad that you brought up Gerardo because uh, I already I re- have recorded an episode with him and his wife. Really? They oh, are, they're fantastic people. They're 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 so great. Um, you know, several times. And I haven't, at this point, I haven't released any of these. And so I'm not exactly sure what order they're going to go in. So people will have either already heard it or they will hear it soon. Um, but several times during the conversation, I would ask like, Gerardo, that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like the best way to make money. And he'd go, and he'd go, well, no, but it was the right thing to do. You know, and I just love that spirit. Um, and Chris, I love talking to you. Um, I'm glad I'm glad that we did this one on the record because you know how how many dozens of times have we sat and talked together and I like wished I had a microphone with us. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show today. So I always leave uh, the audience and with or ask the guests to leave the audience with a call to action. Um, is there something that you would like the audience to do or see or learn or participate in after listening to our conversation? So uh, what would you throw out as a call to action? Okay, well, I'm going to get, actually, 
I have a campaign I'm working on. <laughs> hey, hey, awesome. It's a knowledge building, uh, education-based campaign about building schools. I'm happy to be working with some fun folks. And so we built a little website called webuiltaschool.com. And we're trying to really engage with how do we build a school as a community that hasn't had a new school, a new public school built in almost 25 years. And then we haven't had updates on our uh, public schools, not, not, not including our charters. I'm a product of charter schools in Detroit. So, uh, but our public school system definitely needs a lot of attention. And so I really, really would love to invite people to engage with webuiltaschool.com. It's a growing platform, uh, conversation-based events coming real soon. Uh, surrounding uh, new school projects that's happening, the historical projects of building new schools awesome. on San Antonio's east side and west side. So join me there. Just uh, spelled just like it sounds, webuiltaschool.com. Yes. It's, again, and- a growing platform. We're launching it. We're, we're um, happy to work with uh, MLK Academy um, on this. Uh, their architects are Moody Nolan out of Houston. A uh, really, really dynamic team. Uh, the largest Black-owned architecture firm in the country. Nice. Uh, and 2021 AIA oh, Firm of the Year Award awardees. Awesome. Well. And you're also doing a speaker series, a coffee speaker series with them coming yes, up. Yes, coffee break mornings, uh, Tuesday mornings in May, April, May, and June called Builder Square. Bringing builders, developers, real estate persons together to troubleshoot issues in um issues in 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 conversationing development uh definitely want to level out the the level of understanding as to how to engage with these communities um and dissecting some of the responses that we've been seeing and hearing in some of these community events right we need to start really unpacking some things and and sometimes that feedback comes comes at our developers and our our elected officials so fast that they don't really get a chance to to unpack it and to really understand it Mm -hmm. uh, and to talk to professionals that may have had that issue or may have had that come to them and see how they you know unpacked it and and really created solutions from it so we want to give a forum to uh to interested neighbors as well as the real estate development community to really dive into some of these conversations. We got a, we got a couple panel spaces still open. So cool. I, I filled out your form. Thank you. Filled out your form. Yes. Well, it's going to be a really good show. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there either way. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. Christian Reed Agba, Echo Public Relations. Check it out. Thanks. That's all we've got for today's show, everybody. Thank you again for joining me. Uh, and if you haven't found me already, uh, look me up on Facebook. You can find the show on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, not on TikTok yet, uh, maybe someday. Uh, find me, uh, join the conversation, and let me know if there's anything that you would like to hear that you haven't heard already. Thanks a lot, everybody. Bye-bye.